The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message by Elder Luke Hagler comes from Psalm 42, where the enemies of the Lord mock the children of God by sneering and asking them, Where is thy God? In this first half of the sermon, Brother Luke takes us through Scripture and shows us that our God is in the heavens and that the real question is, Where is their God? For their gods, with a little g, are no gods at all. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
In Psalms, the 42nd chapter, I just want to read a few verses here, starting in verse 1. And it says this, it says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And verse 3 specifically is what I want to look at. He says, My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And if you kind of couple that with verse 10 there, he says, As, as with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? So the question there that this man is being asked repeatedly uh, on a daily basis, according to him, is where is your God, right? Where is your God? And the condition that this man is in at this point is not a great condition of joy and excitement and just, you know, full of laughter and, and those types of emotions. He says that my tears have been my meat night and day. That means, you know, all day long, I've got a sorrowful heart. I, you know, I'm weeping and I'm crying. And all the while, while I'm cast down and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm perplexed at the situation that my enemies are coming to me. And in a sense, they're kind of mocking me and they're saying, where's your God at right now? That's that's a question that I think everybody at some point possibly struggles with even God's people, even God's people at times can struggle with, you know, Lord, where are you? You know, I mean, we're looking at a situation here, Lord, and it would be really, really great if we could see you intervene in a very clear way. So in this case, the wicked are saying to him, where is your God? But that also plagues us, right? Now, the Bible has told us clearly, and the Lord told us, that we're to walk by faith and not by sight, which that can be a very difficult thing to do. Uh, faith is kind of like a wave. It goes up and down. You'll find in the Bible... Men that walked with the Lord, men that handled him, men that touched him, men that had, you know, front row seats to many of the miraculous things that he did. There would be moments where their faith was so low that the Lord actually fussed at them about it. He, the Bible says he upbraided them because of their lack of faith when they're in the, uh, the ship and the, the waves are crashing over it and they get all in a tiz and they're worried about it and they think they're fixing to sink and they go out and they cry to the Lord, Lord save us, we're going to drown. He says, you know, ye of little faith. Yeah. You see, so there are times for the child of God that our faith can be very strong that we can step out of the boat in the midst of the waves looking at the Lord and we can actually walk across the water, Right? And then there are other times that in an instant, we look off from the Lord, we look at the waves, and the next thing you know, we're crashing down. And you see Peter, for that example, his faith goes from here to here in about a second, right? So our faith is like this, but the Bible says we're supposed to walk by faith. Well, sometimes in those bottoms, those valleys where our faith is weak, maybe we in our own mind, we ask ourselves, where are you, God? Not necessarily where are you, do you in the sense that where, do you even exist, but we're asking, like, where, Lord, where are you, right? Now, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if you woke up tomorrow morning and you turned on the news and or you picked up the paper and it said, uh, breaking news, sometime this morning, the heavens opened up and legions of angels came down, visible to everybody that was there, went to every abortion clinic and shut down the abortion clinics and put eternal chains on the doors and nobody could ever get in. And then they went back up into heaven. 
Well, it would, it would be kind of difficult then to say, where is our God, right? Yeah. It'd be very visible. It'd be very easy to see that. It would be easy to, to have a, a strong faith. It really wouldn't even be faith in this case. If every day at 12 o'clock, right about lunchtime, the sky opened up, the Lord stepped out in all of his glory and said, hey, to all my children, I'm right here. Just get a look for about five or 10 seconds and I'm gonna close up the portals of heaven just so your faith will be strengthened and you won't have to ask yourself, where are you, God, right? It would be nice if that happened, but that's not the way the Lord designed it. Now, another sermon for another day is all the many ways that the Lord reveals himself to us every single day, but we get calloused and our eyes grow dull and our ears grow dull and we walk by all the many things that testify that the Lord is with here, is with us and is among us and we just kind of ignore them or get used to them, right? And so sometimes for God's people, it would take the heavens opening up for us to, for him to really get our attention sometimes. But brothers and sisters, if you walked by a tree this morning, that's enough to declare the glory of God. If you took a, if you took a breath of air or if you saw the sunshine, that's enough to declare that God is with us and God is present, right? But we're a fallen, corrupt nature. We have a fallen, corrupt nature. Our minds are corrupt and deceived by our own wicked heart. And sometimes we get to that point, right? Let's say, Lord, where are you? God's people struggled with it many, many times throughout the Bible. You think about when they went into Jericho, there was no question in the minds of those people that God was with them, right? Because great, mighty stone walls don't come down at the sound of people shouting and trumpets, all right? That just, that defies nature. That defies the properties of a rock, okay? Go shout at a rock out in the parking lot till you're blue in the face and see if you can get it to move half an inch. You can't do it, right? But when God's in the matter, he can do it. Now, the very next battle that they faced was at a place called Ai, which uh, a very small, a very small community, a very small city, especially compared to Jericho, and they lose to the city of Ai. And several, several dozen Israelites were killed in that battle. And don't you know, they said, where are you, God? We went from knocking down walls by shouting and with trumpets. And now this little podunk community has killed some of our people. And we've lost. They sent us running. Where are you, God? It happens to God's people. Now, the wicked ask us that and they mock us with that question, right? You think about the wicked today. They could easily come up to you and they could say, look at our nation. Look at, the, look at the turmoil that's going on in our nation. We have got race divided against race worse than it's ever been. We have got uh, politics divided against po political party against political party. We've got, uh, you know, mask against anti-mask. We have vaccine against anti-vaccine. You've got a country that is about to implode. And the wicked sit over and say, hey, child of God, where's your God in all of this? Where is he? And that's the condition this man is in. He is struggling with some things and the wicked come to him and say, where's your God? As if to say, if your God was real, don't you think he would show up? If your God was real, don't you think he would come and heal your land? All the while, just as a side note, most of the time when we wonder where God is, you know, do you know why they wondered where God was when Ai, the very small city, defeated them? God had stepped back. Why? Because of their sin, Right? You can read in the book of Isaiah that, Isaiah that God says, your sins have separated you from me. 
right? Now, God is merciful and God is long-suffering, but on this side of heaven, that long-suffering can come to an end. And God can step back and say, I'm going to let you play with your own devices and see how that turns out for you, right? That's not where we want to be. We want to be a people that have been on our face and on our knees, obedient and calling out to the Lord. But this man right here in Psalms, the 42nd chapter, is struggling. Because the wicked are mocking him, saying, when I look around in society, when I look over here, when I look over there, when I look over here, I don't see the presence of your God. I, I see, I see you know, men prospering over here that care nothing about your God. I see men over here that are praying to your God and they've got the worst life you could imagine. I see disease i see pestilence i see all these things i thought your god loved you well where is he because you're struggling well that's a valid question right joshua joshua says this i'm gonna read it to you in joshua the 24th chapter you see all of us all of us have a god now, I'm not going to go, every time I say the word God, I'm not going to reference little g, big g. You, you can figure it out, hopefully very easily. All of us worship something, right? All of us serve something. All of us want to serve something. You say, well, I know people that don't want to serve anything. Listen, the thing they serve may be the mirror. Are you with me? The thing they serve may be looking back at them in the mirror, but we all want to serve something. Even the wicked that are mocking uh, the, this man and saying, where is your God? They serve gods, right? And Joshua says this, knowing that. Joshua knows that everybody wants to serve something. Joshua says this in Joshua, the 24th chapter. <clears throat> now, he gives a little recap here of the many times that Israel has been delivered by the mighty hand of God. And he says to him in verse 13, Joshua 24, he says, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat? He's saying, do you see how good I've been to you? And then he says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Now, he goes on and says this, and I want you to pay real close attention. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, <clears throat> oftentimes that scripture is taken way out of context. And what you'll, how you'll see this presented many times is this. It says here, choose you this day whom you will serve. You need to make a decision for Christ. You need to walk down the aisle and accept Jesus because Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. That is not what Joshua was saying. What Joshua is saying here is you've already chosen that you're not going to be following God. He says this, he says, so if it seems evil to do, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, well then just choose who you're going to serve. If you're not going to be serving God, well then choose out of all these others who you're, whom you're going to serve. You see, it's not a question of whether or not they're going to choose the Lord or choose some evil false God. He says, you've already rejected the Lord over here, so just choose any of these old gods that you want to serve. You can choose the gods of your fathers that were on the other side of the flood. 
You can choose the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, but it's for me and my house, we're going to be serving God. So this is not a this is not presented as you need to choose the Lord or choose evil. This is saying it doesn't matter which God you choose if the Lord is not your God. Because none of them are real and none of them can save and none of them can deliver. Right? Now, false worship, false idols, false gods, very prevalent, very common throughout the Old Testament. You see, when he says here, choose this, choose ye this day. Which of these false gods are you going to serve? Well, they had a pile of them to pick from. A bunch of them to pick from. And I want to look at just a few of those for a second and ultimately ask the question, who does the question, where is thy God? Who does that question really belong to? It doesn't belong to the wicked, right? The question, who, the question, where is thy God? That really belongs to God and his people. That's a question that we ought to be asking them, right? Let's look at that for just a second. One of the false gods that you'll find in the Bible is a god, his name is Dagon. You might pronounce it Dagon. I pronounce it Dagon. Dagon was a very popular false god. He was a god primarily of the Philistines, right? But there were a lot of other nations that would come in and kind of get into the worship of Dagon. Dagon was a, a god that they had temples uh, in Ashdod and they had temples, uh, a temple in the city of Gaza. And in these temples, uh, people would go in there and they would make sacrifices and they would worship this false god Dagon, very similar to what you see the Israelites doing with, with Jehovah God, right? They considered Dagon to be the inventor of the plow. Uh, the god of agriculture. Uh, they believed that Dagon's son was named Baal. Very familiar in the Old Testament, right? The god of uh, Baal worship. So Dagon, they believed that he was the inventor of the plow. His son was named Baal. What you would find in these temples of Dagon, do you remember the man named Samson who fought with the Philistines uh, over and over and over and over again? And there comes a time that finally that Delilah, through her nagging, wears Samson down so much that he finally reveals the secret to his strength, right? You don't think nagging can't get something out of somebody. I'm telling you. And everything that, that, that he lied to her about, she tried. And she still got him to tell it. And they cut Samson's hair. They take him and they gouge his eyes out. Powerful, mighty man, mighty judge of Israel has been dwindled down to a weak, blind nothing, right? And all the Philistines, because Samson has killed so many of them, he has been a thorn in their side and he has he's just been, you know, just destroyed them time and time again. Can you imagine how the Philistines felt when they had finally, finally put an end to their Superman? The guy that could not be defeated. The guy who was so strong that killed a thousand of them with the jawbone of an ass. They finally have him. He's no longer strong. And they say, even if his, strength's come, even if his strength comes back, well, he can't see. And so we got him. And so you know what they did? They took him to the temple of Dagon. Right? They took him to the temple of Dagon to make sport of him. All right? And they take him and they chain him up for everybody to come by and laugh at him and mock him. 
That's, some, that's kind of some of the things that you would see if you went to this temple, the temple of Dagon, right? Another thing that you would see in the temple of Dagon at, at a, a different point in history is you remember that King Saul also was a great enemy of the Philistines, right? And there comes a time when he dies in battle. And as when King Saul dies, they come up and they cut King Saul's head off. And guess where they take it? They take it to the temple of Dagon and they fasten it to the wall. Now, I want you to think about those things. These people are serious about their God, right? They're serious about this little G. They worship, they sacrifice. When they have great victories against men of God, they bring those men of God into this temple to make sport of them or to display their great victory by bringing in the beheaded king's head and fastening it to a wall. That's what you see in this temple, right? Now, there comes a time when Israel is also in battle. We can read about this over in uh, 1 Samuel, the fifth chapter. 1 Samuel, the fifth chapter, there's another time when Israel, again, is in battle with the Philistines. Now, Israel Israel's a lot like our faith. Israel's a lot like us. Boy, they were up and down and up and down and up and down. What Israel found is when the Ark of the Covenant went before them, the Lord was with them and delivered them in great ways against their enemies. Well, they did what we would all do is they quit trusting so much in the Lord and they they started trusting more in that ark. And they quit seeing God as being the God that gave them their victory. And they started looking more at the ark. And it says, 1 Samuel, the fourth chapter, and it says, and when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore has the Lord smitten us this day before the Philistines? Notice this, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. They're not looking at God. They're looking at the ark. And they say, this ark is what's going to deliver us. And guess what? They roll up in there with the, to the Philistines with the ark of the covenant and the Israelites get smashed. And not only do they get smashed, the Philistines take the ark of the covenant. This wonderful, blessed thing that, that the Lord instructed them to make he told them what to put in it. It is a great spiritual thing in the eyes of the Israelites. And now their wicked enemy has taken it, right? All right. Well, they took Samson to the temple, right? We're going to make sport of Samson. Let's take him to the temple of Dagon. We, made, we, we killed King Saul. Let's cut his head off and let's take him to the temple and put it on the wall and make sport of God's people. What do you think they're going to do with the ark? They're going to take it to that temple, right? And they're going to roll that temple up in there. And what are they saying all this time? Where is your God? Where's your God at, Israel? Where's your king at? Where's Samson at? Where's your ark at? Where's your God? Right? Now I want you to notice this. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. Remember, Ashdod's where one of the temples is. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, and I want you to notice this, and when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, the next day, behold Dagon, this statue of stone, was fallen upon his face to the earth, 
before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him up in his place again. All right. We're going to make sport of Samson. We're going to make sport of King Saul. We're fixing to make sport of all the house of the Israelites because we've got the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to bring it in to this stone statue of Dagon and we're going to set it by him and we're going to mock it. Right? In a sense, it looks like the Ark of the Covenant is bowing down before Dagon, right? What a great victory to these wicked people. And they go to bed and they probably have a great party and all that stuff. And they go to bed and they wake up the next morning. And what do they find? What do they find? They find that their God has actually, in fact, fallen down before the ark. Now, big stone statues don't just fall, right? So they set it back up. Uh, it must have been something. I don't know. Could have been the wind. Could have been an earthquake. They did what we all do. We try to justify it. There's no way that our God bowed down to this ark. So they get him and they set him back up. It says, and when they arose early on the morrow morning, the next morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Now, listen, that ought to make you want to shout a little bit right there, right? We've made sport of all of these things, but you put the Ark of the Covenant in front of the Lord and it was not a rat. It was not the wind. It was not an earthquake. It was not some sort of, of temple uh, animal that jumped up on this thing. It was the power of God that brought that thing down and made it fall, breaking its head and the, and the palms of his hands in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, who does the question belong to? Where is thy God? I think it belongs to the Israelites, right? I think it's the Israelites that look at the Philistines and say, where is thy God? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.